Justin. You're not pushing it. You suck at this, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was Justin Haskins, everybody. Last night was an eventful night for the GOP presidential primary. Interesting questions were asked. Interesting answers were given. I think the race is more clearly defined now than ever because of last night. Oh, and there was also a debate on Fox featuring a few other people that also happened to be running for president. There has also been a wave of stories coming out sounding the alarm on another dreaded COVID variant in the light of this news. Are we going to see the uh, a, a new wave of mask mandates and other restrictions? Also, a supposed TSA whistleblower claims that we'll be soon entering another full-fledged era of COVID restrictions. How likely is this? Um, have we not learned anything in the last go-around? What are the political implications of this? We're going to be talking about this and more on episode 412 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall, and I've got with me a full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing great. Uh, This is my day off. I love the listeners and the viewers of this podcast so much, and you guys too a little bit, I guess, that I'm going to be here on my day off to participate in the podcast. It is hot here in Northern Illinois. Yesterday was really hot, too. Yesterday was the hottest day in 120,000 years. And I believe today is going to be the hottest day in 150,000 years. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, but somehow my tomato plants are still alive. So I think they seem to enjoy the heat. So well, go figure. I need Chris Christie to weigh in on that one. Also joining us, I've got Justin Haskins. He is the director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. Justin Haskins, what's going on? Not much. Not much. I'm doing good. I'm recovering from last night. Um, I played this drinking game with myself. Um, where every time I got annoyed by something someone said during the debate, I drank and I'm still drunk. I haven't, <laughs> haven't, so, you know, I haven't come hey. down from that. Yep. Haven't come down from that. So basically just like a normal day for Jim Lakely, which is, you know, <laughs> the standards that we have at the Harlot Institute are pretty low to be, to be totally honest with you. I think I do some of my best work drunk as you guys are going to find out today. So oh, good, good. Fantastic. You score for a treat. You really are. I think the I think his drinking game is still going. So the next time Jim talks, you're going to see Justin taking a swig of something. Yeah, this, uh, this looks like a cup of coffee, but it's not. No. Irish coffee. Uh, Chris Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing good. Watched the debate last night. I know we're going to talk about it. So uh, I think we just get right to it. Uh, We will get to it after I do some house cleaning things, which includes encouraging all of those that are listening to the show in the audio only form. First off, why don't you leave a review for us on iTunes? Come on, just go ahead and do it. Helps out the show. 
And you can also join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming the show on YouTube and Twitter and Rumble and Facebook. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You could also help us out by uh, we got that super chat functionality enabled so you can support the show that way. It's a great way to support the show and guarantee that your comment or question is addressed on air. Also hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under this video all helps break through the big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Lastly, we have a benefit dinner that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. September 8th is the day. It's a Friday. And uh, we will all be there except for Justin. And so we want to see our fans there. Come up to us. Talk to us. Uh, let us know that you're there. Share the love a little bit. But uh, instead of throwing it to Jim Lakely to talk about the guests that we'll be having there, John Stossel, Jeannie Ives, all of that, uh, we do have a little bit of a video package that's supplied to us by producer Andy that uh, highlights the some of the some of the cooler things about each department. Uh, this video in particular is just about the Socialism Research Center. So go ahead, Andy, play your wonderful piece of art. Angelic and Amen for this uh, musical opening of the meeting. In my opinion, this is the most important story, period. If you're talking yeah, about transforming society, this is the story. Imagine what the world would be like if the internet had been designed with ESG from the start. When you can control people without throwing them in prison by just simply silencing them. When you have artificial intelligence rigging the algorithm right from the very start, you don't need these kinds of giant crackdowns, jackboot stormtroopers, you just need the right system in place. That is right. So the benefit dinner, uh, as it does highlight uh, very important people in the kind of the Liberty battle. Like I said, we have John Stossels, our featured speaker. The Liberty Prize is going to Jeannie Ives. But it also is an opportunity for here at the Heartland Institute to kind of celebrate the work that we have done as an organization over the past year. So that is just kind of a, a little clip of that just showing, like I said, some of the, um, you know, it's a a little Justin heavy media appearances that we've had under the Socialism Research Center banner. We need to uh, fit some more in there. But I, I do believe that there are other other uh, things like that in in uh, in stock for the Environment Center and healthcare and all of the like. So, if you are able, if you are willing and able. You have the means to do it. Come join us in the Chicagoland area for the benefit dinners, the 39th anniversary benefit dinner here in the Chicagoland area. You can find more information. Go to heartland.org or benefit.heartland.org for more information. Jim, anything else you want to say about it? 
Good. No, All right, we, let's move on. We, we, yeah, yeah, we just hope to see people there. That'd be great. You know, Absolutely. you won't get to be Justin, but apparently Justin's going to be very, very yeah. probably featured on the screen. So it'll be just like he's there. Yeah. Deep fake my face over all of those clips, Andy. I think that'll be. I think that'll go over well. So as I jested earlier, last night was the date of two different events relating to the Republican presidential primary, the the Republican primary debate on Fox and the far more viewed Donald Trump interview on Tucker's show on Twitter. So Donald Trump, as many surely know by now, declined going to the debate and instead pre-recorded an interview with Tucker Carlson. The interview was shown. Uh, was then scheduled to release promptly at 7.55, five minutes before the start time of the debates, which I thought was just hilarious. The debate, on the other hand, started at 8 o'clock our time and featured not Trump, but Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Doug Burnham, Asa Hutchinson, and Chris Christie. So, lightning round. Jim, <laughs> I know you watched the debate. Did you watch the Trump interview? I did not. I watched about 15 minutes or so of the Trump minutes. interview and I, and I fell asleep. So Justin, I know you watched, well, you watched most of the debate. You said you didn't did. finish the whole thing. Did you watch the Trump no. interview? Uh, no, uh, no, I didn't. Okay. I watched right. 30 seconds. Of Lightning it. round. Chris, <laughs> I know <laughs> you watched the debate. You, you, I'm sure you watched it in full. I did. Okay. Great. I even Chris watched some watched of the post debate coverage. Yeah. And I watched the post debate. And you watched it again this morning, right? I watched some of the post debate coverage this morning on our favorite channels, MSNBC and CNN. Before oh, 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 wow. Yeah. It was pretty brutal. Um, yeah. And I watched about 20, 25 minutes of the Trump interview. And I didn't really think there was much breaking news except right, for right. one, so, one, one small element, which I'm sure we'll discuss. So I did the opposite. I watched the full Trump interview and I watched some bits and pieces of the debate. So I think we've got it all covered from all sides, even the MSNBC and CNN perspective. What type of uh, you know other show will give you that? So We may run, we may run out of time before we get to that. Let's not <laughs> get the viewers' hopes up. Well, uh, Jim, I you probably have the most to say about anybody. So I'm going to give you first whack at any aspect of this that you want to take uh, about last night's events. Go for it, Jim. All right. Well, you know, you were on a text thread with and Justin was too, and a couple other Heartlanders and one former Heartlander uh, kind of sharing our thoughts live as the debate was going on. I thought that was the worst debate in both moderation and performance that I've ever seen. Um, it, it By miles, wow. it was terrible. It was terrible. This is a GOP debate, debate, right? And what did we do? We hit the issues that Democrat voters really care about, framed from a lefty Democrat perspective every single time. Abortion, climate change, even the question, there was even a question about how our cities have devolved into these dystopian, lawless hellholes. Uh -huh. And it was framed in a way that says, well, you know, Trump was president during that. So, you know, he does share <laughs> some responsibility for it. That is so ridiculous. Nearly every single policy that has created or that has turned our cities into these hell holes. In fact, every policy that has turned this, that has made this country go downhill and, and be a complete mess from inflation to crime, to our kids falling behind in school, to, to lockdowns and economic misery, to lies about how COVID came to be and how to treat it and how it spreads, uh, to foreign policy, to the government conspiring with big tech to censor American, the Americans' free speech. All of that stuff is a manifestation of radical leftist policies and philosophies implemented by Democrats. And this debate featured questions framed from that point of view. 
And they had stupid gotcha questions like, you know, raise your hand if you believe in X. Like, do you believe humans are driving climate change? Raise your hand. Okay, now it's time for a lightning round. I mean, are you serious? This is a debate about somebody on that stage or Joe Biden or maybe Gavin Newsom is going to be the next president of the United States. That's just a fact. And we, we get a question like, do you think military service should be mandatory, Governor DeSantis? What the hell kind of a question is that? And then Chris Christie is asked about uh, UFOs. <laughs> it wasn't until the closing statements where they each got 60 seconds where viewers got any idea, any hint into what the candidate stood for, what principles they might hold, you know, why they're running for president, you know, any of that stuff. The important stuff, the stuff voters actually need to know. Most people had never heard any of these people talk before. And instead, we have the, the moderators letting it get completely out of control after framing everything from the left. Um, you know, I know they can't put trapdoors underneath those, those uh, lecterns, <laughs> but they can have a mute button and they can just hit the mute button. Everybody shut up. Everybody shut up. We're going to reset and start over again. And I'm going to unmute one person and that person gets to talk. And that's it. I mean, yeah. that's what you needed to do to have anything useful come out of this, that except for uh, if you're a Democrat, lots of useful stuff came, came out of that. If you're a Democrat or you're working for Team Biden, Team Biden was the big winner last night because everything, every, they have turned this country and the economy into a complete disaster. And it was never brought up. It was never really addressed. Uh, it was just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, but and what then, did Chris Christie have to thing. say about UFOs? That's what's important. Uh, I want to I mean, know Come that. on, come on. I mean, and just one last thing. I mean, I, I think it's time. Look, the GOP, this is the fault of the, the Republican Party, the National Republican Party. They need to stop, uh, you know, partnering with media, big legacy media organizations for these debates. That is an old model. And then at Fox News had to keep, you know, we got to hurry up. We got to we got to be done on time so we can go to Sean Hannity in the spin room at the top of the hour. Nobody cares. You could go on. You know, Joe Rogan has mastered the the art of a three hour conversation with one person. I think the American people would rather spend 90 minutes or two hours or two and a half hours having a genuine um, examination and discussion about issues with people running for president. No, instead, we got to hurry up because we got to go to Sean Hannity in the spin room, which is complete bullshit. Mm. Nobody cares about that stuff either. I mean, Chris watched it, but I didn't watch it. So the GOP needs to stop with this stuff by partnering even with friendly media like Fox News to run their debates. Bring in a moderate, bring in a panel of moderators that are from, I don't know, think tanks and are experts on issues like the economy or climate change or education. Bring in talk radio hosts like, um, you know, any talk radio, any conservative talk radio host in the country, you can pick them out at random. They will have better questions than than Brett Baer and Martha McCallum had. Uh, th that's what needs to be done. Th this is supposed to be so that Republican voters are getting information to, for who they might want to choose to be their nominee. That that was supposed that should be the goal of a Republican debate. That goal was not even approached from 30,000 feet away. The, the complete the, this was a complete joke and you know what it's only going to get worse from here that's the fun part justin you at one point in your life uh told me that like primary seasons of an election are like your favorite time <laughs> part of the year or something like that have I you did. changed your mind on that <laughs> i did i i really i i really did you know there used take to a drink period. justin and defy me <laughs> There used to be, yeah, there used to be a period of time when, um, I, you know, I, there was this, uh, a really famous talk radio show host in, uh, the new England area growing conservative. 
And growing up, I always listened to him. And he used to describe it as primary season is like Super Bowl season for people who love politics. Like it's just it's just the best time of year if you love politics. And I really did used to feel that way. And now it is just like it's closer to being trapped as like a POW in a Vietnamese prison camp. Like it's closer to that, I think, than it is to being like the Super Bowl. It's awful. It's torture listening to this. I mean, you've got. You've got fat Chris Christie, who is sole purpose in life is just to make people angry and hate him, it seems, and get some sort of a, I don't know, like TV deal with MSNBC when this is all done with. You got Asa Hutchinson, whose ghostly figure is just haunting the stage from beginning to end. You've got, you've got like amateurs and people just yelling at each other and you know, whatever happened to the whole, you know, uh, 11th commandment thing of like, thou shalt not attack another Republican. It's like all they did was attack each other pretty much the entire debate. There was very little uh, team sort of orient. Like we got, we have to stop Joe Biden. Like that's the most important thing. Maybe I missed that part, but I don't, I don't remember anyone saying that. I, I do. I will say this. I think the biggest, most important thing takeaway from the debate was was Fox. I actually don't think that it had anything to do with the candidates. Really, in my opinion, none of them did particularly well. There were some really awkward moments, one in particular with Ron DeSantis, where he they, they asked everyone to raise their hands if they were going to vote for Donald Trump. I think even if he is convicted, uh, I yeah. think that was the question. Mm -hmm. And the candidates all started raising their hands, and it very clearly appeared that Ron DeSantis was not raising his hand. And then after an awkward period of time, when he realized a lot of other people were raising their hands, he decided to also raise his hand. And Chris Christie, even more awkwardly, raised his hand right around the same time as DeSantis and then bizarrely brought it down and then shook his hand like, no, 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 like this, like, <laughs> no, I'm not actually, never mind. And then they asked him, they, somebody sort of suggested, wait a minute, are you? And he goes, Oh no, no, I was shaking. I wasn't I but it very very clearly raised his hand. Yeah. So it was I was I was ordering a hamburger. I wasn't yeah, it was it was so weird. <laughs> he it saw was, the hot dog guy in the stands and he was, was trying to flag him over. It was so bad, but but I will say this. So so Jim, so Jim had this, we had this text thread going, and Jim is I watched the debate after everybody on the text <laughs> thread. Right. Jim is texting, like live tweeting. <laughs> to this one tiny group of people every thought that he has about this debate <laughs> and as he's going through <laughs> complaining about the fox debate over and over and over again all i'm doing is reading it just rolling my eyes classic jim like drama queen jim just <laughs> complaining about the media you know all of this stuff then I, I later in the night i'm watching the debate and i and i'm saying to myself damn it jim was right <laughs> this is <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad. The biggest takeaway by far for me was it seems, and this comes from a guy who's done lots of Fox appearances, writes for Fox. I, I have people at Fox who I love, love, but man, the first half of that debate, it really did feel like they were trying hard Fox. I mean, to Martha McCallum and Brett Baer to gift the Democrat party talking points that benefits them. I, 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 I don't understand that. That doesn't really make sense to me. But the uh, the abortion questions weren't just 
what's your position on abortion? It just went on and on and on. Mm -hmm. They very, they very clearly framed it as this is going to kill us in the election guys. So uh, what are we going to do about it? And get you on record talking. And then at one point (laughs) it kept bringing up January 6th. That came up multiple times. They asked at one point for all of the candidates to uh, uh, basically uh, publicly acknowledge that Mike Pence did the right thing by not, um, you know, going along with Trump's plan to have states, you know, re and it was just like, why are we hashing this out? <laughs> it why turned into a deposition halfway through. It was, yeah, it was like, it was like, why are we talking about this? Like, well, this is crazy that they were obsessing over the January 6th stuff. That's what they want. And we're bringing it up on our own freaking this network. This isn't ABC News doing this debate. This isn't the, a, a general election debate where you would expect that question. This is supposed to help Republican primary voters. They don't want to talk about Mike Pence and January 6th and national abortion bans. And it was like, this is so, so, so bad. It Uh, really, it really was. It was egregious, intentionally so, it seemed almost. And and just to clarify for anyone that's confused, he's meaning January 6th, 2021. Uh, Just, you know, we've had a few since not. Uh, not not Chris, 2023. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yes. Chris, um, pretty hard, hard uh, opinions about this from from Jim and 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 Justin. Do you concur or do you uh, you have a different take on it? No, I agree. Uh, you know, the opening segment was all about the economy and basically what we knew was going to happen happened. They all bunt, uh, bashed Biden, uh, Bidenomics and they, you know, put forward their talking points about how to get the economy going. And then the second segment, they go into abortion. And I was like, wait, this is kind of strange because they did frame it in a, in a very, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a way that was not going to be helpful for for every single Republican candidate on that stage. And then they spent, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes, uh, you know, rehashing January 6th in the 2020 election. So it doesn't seem like there was much in terms of a uh, robust policy discussion. I was waiting to hear about, you know, uh, uh, their their plans for immigration, their plans for uh, the border crisis, uh, their plans for education and a whole bunch of other things. And those got very, very, you know, short segments and uh, yeah, I just say overall, I was disappointed. It seemed like Jack Smith was, you know, taking Brett Baer's position and <laughs> asking questions that were much more about, you know, things that these voters don't care at all about. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a time in which uh, Republican primary voters in particular can get a really good view of what these people would, you know, would do if they were to be elected president. And we just did not get that. And, you know, I think Justin's right. You know, Fox News, I am a loyal you know, watcher of it. However, I'd say since uh, Tucker Carlson got let go, they've definitely gone in a, in a different direction. They've become much more establishment. Um, the, the, some of the questions were just shocking, especially the climate change one. Um, so, yeah, I was I was pretty disappointed. You know, it was not what I was expecting. It was not what, you know, past debates have been. And it seemed like it was much more about entertainment and much more about, um, you know, almost almost uh, helping the Democrats with talking points for the uh, 2024 general election with, you know, putting these Republicans on record as saying things that are probably going to come back to bite them uh, in a general election. Yeah, so I didn't watch. Uh, I watched parts of the debate Um, when when it came to 755, I tuned into the 
into the Trump interview. And, you know, it was it was pretty interesting. It was kind of Trump being Trump. I don't think there was anything to write home about. Uh, I mean, he fielded some interesting questions like, you know, why didn't he go to the debate? Whether or not he thinks Epstein killed himself, whether or not he thinks the left is going to come and kill him um, about elections being rigged and stolen. He did some foreign policy stuff as it related to China, Russia, and Ukraine. There was a heavy focus in the second half of it about Biden and the likelihood of running against Biden. And Trump had like time to talk, right? Like he didn't have 45 seconds before he was cut off by Asa Hutchinson trying to score some points or something like that. So I think that it was like very clearly a good move for Trump to do this um, and, and kind of avoid it. But at the same time, time to me it kind of like made the debate pointless to watch like when i was like you know so i watched that first and then i was going to tune into the debate and, and watch some clips and all of that and i just kept having this feeling that i was watching like a preseason football game where like the starters weren't there and i'm just like oh is that guy like fourth string receiver or something like uh, maybe he'll play a game or something i don't know well you know it's just it made so all of this that you're talking about their positions on this and whether or not Pence scored some points on whoever or Chris Christie took a knock at Vivek or someone in the comments I saw Vivek had a really good night like that's great but we're talking about who's going to win at becoming a distant second to Trump because that's that, that's what it seems like to me like this is clearly Trump's game to win and I wasn't saying that several months ago after the primaries but Trump has clearly solidified his support from his base uh, with this string of indictments and all of that I looked at 538. Is that what it's called? 538's poll aggregator. Mm -hmm. And it has Trump sitting nicely at 52.1%, holding a 37-point lead over 15% DeSantis and a 40-plus point lead over the supposedly soaring 9.7% uh, Ramaswamy. So it just seems like, like what, is, what, is, what is all this political theater even like there for? You know, like I don't yeah. even know what the point of the debate is. Trump well, is running away with it. It's well, like Danny, over. One of the one of the things was uh, the audience seemed like they were very much pro-Trump because they were mm -hmm. booing a lot of the uniparty, um, you know, things coming out of the mouths of uh, Haley and Christie and, uh, you know, Issa Hutchinson. And when people like Vivek uh, and uh, uh, Ron Sanders did stand up and uh, preach some of the, you know, Trump policies, the audience, you know, exploded in applause. So it seems like the audience there was very pro-Trump and that, you know, these, you know, the eight candidates, one of them had to make a, uh, you know, just a humongous, you know, uh, you know, home run swing. And they just didn't know. Nobody, nobody did. Right. Right. Nobody. Right. Uh, Justin or Jim, final thoughts on this. I want to get to our other topics at hand here. I, um, I just, <sighs> It, it does seem like this is over and that there really is no chance of anyone beating Trump. And it does make you wonder why there's like 15 other Republicans in the race. I will say that I, I will, you know, point this out. If, if the goal is to be it, what I think was maybe the most bizarre thing that you've ever seen in a debate happened um, unsuspectingly. And that is that, You've got all these people on the stage. They supposedly want to be the candidate. But the person who's in first place, who isn't on the stage, which is rare in and of itself in a debate, who's up 35, 40 points, 45 points, depends on the poll that you look at, really didn't get criticized all that much, except for 
from a couple of people who have no chance of actually winning. And it makes you wonder what they're thinking that they're doing. Like, does, does, you know, Nikki Haley think she's going to win the primary without attacking Trump and being down by 50 points? Because Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem likely to happen. And so it really does make me think that most of the people on the stage, other than Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, you know, that just about everybody else on the stage is there because they're hoping to get a, a you know, something position. out of it, like either yeah. a cabinet position or maybe the VP or so to your point. Yeah. I think they are all playing for second place. Like, I think that is actually what's going on here. You know, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy's middle name is Prescott. So VP Ramaswamy <laughs> just fits really nicely. Yeah, I just made that up. Does. That's fake news. Uh, gentlemen, was, was COVID ever brought up during, during the debate at all? No. No, that's interesting. Not one DeSantis said something about how he didn't, you know, he didn't lock his, he didn't Oh lock yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and he wouldn't let that happen again as president. And, oh. You know, he he rightly he rightly criticized. I think there was, I guess, a gentle criticism of Trump for basically handing over the entire society to um, Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci, and whatever they said goes. I mean, that's true. That's a very valid criticism. And in he fact, did. you know, it would have been a wonderful co- uh, question to directly ask these guys um, how they would have handled it when COVID comes back or lockdowns. There should have been a really great, long discussion about that during the debate. Nah, who cares? No, nope. let's, let's let's ask about the UFOs change. or climate change. My fa- the thing that really annoyed me about that climate change question, by the way, I know we got to wrap it up, but. They they didn't just ask the climate change question. They went to a video of a kid asking it on behalf of all kids in the Mm -hmm. world, apparently. Like, this is what my generation cares about. We care about climate change. What are you guys going to do about CO2 emissions or whatever it was? As if this is how this all works. It was just so annoying that it was clearly a prop. You know, they use this well, kid as a prop to ask this question about climate change, which the average well, Republican voter does not care about at all. But whatever. Yeah. Well, the the other climate change question that I thought uh, kind of came out of left field, especially for Fox News, was when this happened. How dare you? I think she was the third person on the uh, up there with Martha McCallum. Like, I think right. she was actually using Martha take McCallum that as her hand puppet. DeSantis, how dare you? <laughs> Uh, all right. So yeah, debate. I don't know. I mean, there was a, there was a, uh, comment in the comment section over here. I forget by who had already passed me, but it was a gentleman saying, well, the Trump is getting a lot of points based on name recognition alone, something along these lines. And last night was the first time that people kind of saw alternative choices. My God. One fine enough theory, fine enough theory, but that would have to be reflected in the polls in the coming couple of days. You know, if all of a sudden Trump drops by like, 10 points or something and somebody else gets some other 10 point boost then i'll you know i'll believe that theory but until then i'm not buying it well that was about the only thing i actually heard him say during the tucker interview before i fell asleep now granted i didn't <laughs> i was tired it was late but Passed out uh, with he said why would i go to the debate i'm up i'm up 50 60 one poll has me up 70 percent. come on there's no poll in the world i don't think kim jong-un had uh polls having him up 70 percent <laughs> in north korea i doubt donald trump is up by 70 percent in any polls but this is such a bizarre thing we're going through here um you know the 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 presidential uh, campaign season is now officially underway, and uh, the the leader uh, among the Republicans is not interested in going to any debates. This is so weird. I mean, we have a primary vote, what, in five months? Um, 
you know, there's going to be a couple, probably a couple more debates until then. And Trump is literally not planning on participating. Yeah, but Jim, but not only that, but he's facing four indictments and he's going to be, you know, in, he's in, going to jail. Well, he's not a debate. At the very least, though, but guys, he's going to be he's going to be stuck in courtrooms for the you know next several months. Is he going to have the ability to actually, you know, go out and campaign? I don't think so. No, so, his campaign is his entire campaign is going to be a picture of him in handcuffs getting arraigned. Like that's <laughs> being the showed by the left, being shown that, by the left right. and being and shown the right. by him. Yeah. 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 How, how crazy and unprecedented, unprecedented this, this is because, you know, <laughs> yep. we're, we're now in a in a place in time where the leading Republican uh, nominee not only is probably going to skip the debates, but he's also not going to be able to campaign. And this is like, <laughs> well, wow, wow. Like, how think, is this going to play about, out? And not to about, mention that the Democratic nominee, for all we know, could, could you know, drop out, you know, in the next couple of months too. Well, I thought you were going to say drop something else. We drop could have, we drop. could yeah. have, the, this could be the first campaign in history where the sitting president of the United States doesn't campaign because he's just physically not capable. He's just like locked in his own basement because he's too afraid to walk outside and the opponent can't run because he's in prison. Right. So there's not going to be anybody running anywhere. No one's going to be campaigning. Everyone's just going to be at home. Can I, la last thing possible. I want to say about all this is America. This is the United States of America. Greatest democracy in on the world. So depressing. If, if Trump is in like prison, I will I will never more enthusiastically vote for somebody. I know. Than Trump. Well, it's highly likely he would actually be in prison at that point. But I think he will just be so, uh, you know, distracted with these legal, you know, entanglements that it's going to make it very, Correct. very difficult for him to actually go out and campaign and do his rallies and you know really make a you know a a, a real big campaign launch. Yeah, we'd, we'd have to. The, it's really it's really important that people keep keep in mind they understand that if regardless of what happens with if Trump gets convicted of any of these things but especially the charges that are related to the overturning election stuff and all of that that is going to go through so many additional levels right, of sure. of appeals and all this other stuff eventually the supreme court will surely have to be involved in that and that will be some big thing and then even and, and then on top of that, there's going to be this legal question hanging out there of, well, what if if Trump, if, if this conviction stands, well, then can he can he even run because uh, he he's convicted of overturning the election and that of trying to overturn the election. And that that's like a uh, uh, there's a clause in the Constitution that says that you can't hold public office if you've tried to, you know, if you've committed you know, treason against the United States and all this other stuff. And does that qualify? And then that'll be hanging out in the air. Like it is never, this thing is never going to end. This is going to be like the yeah, worst we'll be here election to cover season it. ever. <laughs> we'll be here to cover it. Uh, there is one comment from LS says, I didn't know you guys were all alcoholics. Uh, no, we're just joking. Chris doesn't drink. I don't drink. Justin like barely actually drinks. Jim, no comment. Uh, let's no, so let's no move comment. on. Jim drinks <laughs> enough for all four of us. So, Johnny, just just one last statement on the debate. I think that the the craziness of the of this debate is uh, just a preview of what's to come this campaign season. I think this is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen with you know with the legal stuff with you know sure. Biden and his you know age and just like I just I think this is going to be unprecedented. I think that the 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 vote itself is probably going to be you know, uh, testy Don't and, say uh, it, Chris. Don't I know. Well, it. yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'll bite my tongue <laughs> there, but, um, no, you I know how that, 
I, I really do think that this is this is going to be unlike anything we've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, you know how like sometimes uh, uh, channels, Fox or CNN will try to like give like a label, you know, like America Decides or something like that, like <laughs> Election 2020, America Decides or some type of like slogan attached to it. This year's should seriously just be called like unprecedented because <laughs> yeah. you're absolutely right. It really is. Unfortunately, their their tagline, their slogan was democracy. And last time I checked, America is not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. Terrible. Big difference there. Terrible, terrible choice, whoever said that. Um, all right, let's get to our main topic. We're already more than halfway through. And we have a special segment at the end of the episode that we will get to. We're not cutting the episode short, so we will get to. We might be going long here. There has been a slew of stories regarding COVID popping up recently. Apparently, there is a new variant that scientists are on high alert about. This variant is named BA2.86. <sighs> Remember when <laughs> variants had cool names like Delta and Omicron? Like, whatever happened to that? Yeah, no, it's well, BA2.86. No, because we were going to get to Z. We were going to get to XIZ, and they didn't want to call it that because that's the name of the leader of China. So that's yeah, when we started going to these other names. Can't have that. So the new variant has been confirmed in a handful of countries and has been designated by the World Health Organization as a, quote, variant under monitoring. The CDC warns that this new variant may be more capable than older variants in causing infection in people that have already had COVID-19 or those that have been vaccinated. So even if you have been double vaxxed and triple boosted, you may be susceptible to this new variant, Justin. Uh, it's not. I already known. got it. I think <laughs> probably it's not known if the new variant may cause more severe illness compared to previous variants, you know, like the ones that were confused for like hay fever or a bad cold. But it could be. And isn't that the most important thing? The the could. Right. But upticks in cases, uh, case numbers in certain areas have spurred already a handful of uh, places like Rutgers University, Georgetown University. Morris Brown College and even Lionsgate Studios to reinstitute mask mandates and in some cases even vaccine mandates. So, Chris, you wrote an op-ed on the return of mask mandates. Uh, I'm not sure if it's published yet, so maybe people are getting a sneak peek at this. What's going on here? Well, like you said, in the past uh, couple of weeks, we are seeing the return of mask mandates. A bunch of colleges bunch of businesses, including Lionsgate, uh, some hospitals uh, in upstate New York have also brought back mask mandates. Uh, colleges are also uh, doubling down on the uh, vaccine mandate, even though we know for a fact that the vaccines don't prevent transmission or, um, uh, you know, a, a robust defense of the, of the virus. But regardless of that, you know, uh, the uh, World Health Organization, the United Nations are hyping some of these variants, Eris, you know, E5, the one you just said, B, whatever. And uh, interestingly, you know, uh, if you go and just like Google like COVID-19 news or anything like that, because I did that a couple of times yesterday, a lot of stories are coming up and saying the masks worked, the lockdowns worked. And it's like it's all over the place. So it makes me wonder if they're using that as a you know, like a way to say, hey, wait a second, we need to do it again because it worked the last time. And remember, there was a whole bunch of uh, data that came out that the masks did not work. Even the New York Times and a lot of the mainstream media outlets finally admitted that. And now they're just doing a total reverse course. And you can look it up yourself. Just Google COVID-19 mask mandates, you know, lockdowns and everything. And um, a lot of uh, scientific journals and, uh, you know, scientific based organizations are coming out and saying, on, like one of the words was, 
the uh, lockdowns unequivocally save <laughs> lives and just like all this kind of, you know, stuff. So it makes me wonder, gee, are we on the precipice of another COVID, uh, pan, you know, uh, you know, pandemic? And uh, are they using this as a tool because we've got an election, you know, about a month or about a year from now? And are they going to try to do this to, you know, keep people from uh, voting in person, doing the old mail-in ballots and uh, keeping Joe Biden uh, hunkered in his basement so that he doesn't have to really go on the campaign trail and uh, interact with voters. Yeah, Justin, I mean, you had COVID last week. In fact, you missed the episode because of that. Don't you, I mean, do you just blame yourself because you weren't masking up? Uh, like, do you have some guilt in there for, for getting COVID because, you know, you weren't social distancing properly? What's, what's your take on all this? Yeah, no, I do. It's it's all my fault. I actually I've been vaccinated so many times at this point that, you know, it's it, 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 and yet I of all the people I know, somehow I feel like I've gotten covid more than everyone. I, I mean, I, I don't know what I don't know what that means. It's almost as though there's an inverse relationship between being vaccinated and getting the uh, and getting the illness. I'm not I'm not a scientist, obviously. I'm not trying to make any sort of larger picture points or anything. All I know is that I've injected myself many times with covid vaccines and it doesn't seem to be working very well for me. So or anyone in my family, for that matter. So that's that's great. I look, I, you know, I, I will say this. I, I know that there's this thing on the right. You know, Chris just suggested this. I know Jim feels this way. And soon we're going to hear a Jim rant all about this, I'm sure. <laughs> so I will just skip right ahead to the part where I say Jim is wrong. Um, I don't believe that this is all part of some sort of conspiracy to try to win the election. Um, and my main art, and I understand why conservatives feel that way because they think, okay, like last time we had COVID and then all the election rules changed and the election rules definitely helped the Democrats. And so it makes, and, and we haven't heard anything about this for the past like two years. Now, all of a sudden it's right before the election and we're hearing all this stuff about masks and maybe lockdowns and, and other stuff. And surely they'll use this to change the election laws. I understand the argument, but as far as I can tell, most of the election laws are still the crappy election laws that they put into place when they when the last pandemic happened. So as far as I can tell, that can't be the motivating factor because they already have all those rules in place. So, for example, where I live, um, it's almost impossible to vote in person. Like the way they have it set up, you really can't even do that. That's the rule now even without the mask mandates and everything else. They, they, in order to vote in person where I live, you have to go to, this is not made up, this is real. I couldn't believe this actually when I found out about it. You actually have to go to the county office and vote at the county elections office. That's the only place in the county. Every county has one place where you can vote in person. Everyone else votes with a, a absentee ballot, basically, or a mail-in ballot that you can drop off in a box that they leave on the side of the road, just all over the place. They literally have a, my local box that I vote. My voting place is at a gas station down the street from me. 
That's literally where I vote. It's not made up. Yeah, they, so, it's, special, it's special for Justin. They just have him throw his ballot in the garbage can next to the yeah, but, but Probably. And it's and it's like not even a will, well-lit gas, sta- gas station. Box. He's got to go in the alley. It's, on next, the it's next to the – it's not even in front of the gas station. It's on the side of the gas station next to the post office box, which looks exactly the same. So it would be extremely easy to accidentally slip your left Letter into the the mail in ballot slot or mail it or your ballot into the post office box. There's no security of any kind, no cameras, no nothing. That is this is the true story of how I vote now. It is absolutely Justin, absurd. Yeah. Justin skips the middleman of the Democrat <laughs> operative throwing his ballot away and just throws it away himself. Saves, saves time and, and money. A, Last time he either that. he either voted or he resubscribed to some magazine subscription. <laughs> He's not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing. It's like, it's the most absurd system already. And so my whole point is in many states across the country, this, some version of this, maybe not as bad as this, but some version of this is still in place. So I don't think we need some sort of COVID conspiracy to change the rules. The rules are still garbage almost everywhere. So so that's why I don't buy that theory. I, I think Jim, I, I put I put on the thumbnail, you know, COVID 2023, the election variants, somebody yeah. in the uh, chat there, like referred to as like the get Biden reelected variant. I've heard yeah. other variations of this joke. Um, and, and we heard what Chris said. Obviously, Justin disagrees. What's your take on all of this? Well, I think there's no question that the absolute and in some and in some states illegally changing election rules to basically make it as a model for the way Democrats get out the vote uh, for years anyway, while Republicans never had that kind of infrastructure in place. Um, It worked to get Biden elected. And, you know, you keep doing something that works until it doesn't. So let's uh, let's just set up all the conditions to to make that happen this time, too, just to be just to be sure. And and if Biden is not uh, capable of actually running for president anymore. I mean, I just read a story today that uh, his campaign staff is a very skeleton crew. He's got like a handful of people um, in an office somewhere near his two homes in Delaware. He's got no, uh, as far as this story said, he's got nobody on the ground in Iowa. He's got nobody uh, out in the States. It's, it doesn't, and he he doesn't really have a fundraising team uh, to speak of. So, you know, I think it was uh, uh, Jason uh, Chavitz, who a former uh, congressman who's now with Fox News, I think he wrote a piece about this. And so, you know, by if you were to look at this objectively from the outside, it sure doesn't look like Joe Biden's actually interested in running for president again. Um, or they think they can kind of make sure that the system works in their favor and they don't have to really worry about it so much. But, you know, just to yes, we call this a, the election variant. And I think that's I think that's part of it. I think, you know, if you something succeeded, you would you want to and you want to do it again until it doesn't work anymore. Plus, you have the media on your side and then you have all those election fortification teams out there in uh, big tech and other places that uh, we'll hear about after the election, of course, spending lots of money that they shouldn't be spending after the election. Of course, we may learn about it. But just to get back to this whole COVID thing, I mean, people here in the comments are talking about I will not comply. Um, They're not locking us down. I'm not putting a mask on. Uh, and again, Don, I've probably brought this up a dozen times on this podcast, whenever we talk about this topic, is that in the beginning of the pandemic, in March of 2020, I truly, and I think Justin shared my view on this, truly believe that the American people are not going to put up with this. When they said two weeks to stop the spread, we were going to hold them to that. 
when they said, okay, we just need a couple more weeks or there's just a little distancing. It's just this and just that and just this other thing. Don't you want to keep people safe and all of that? I thought there's no way that the American people would put up with this and they put up with it for two years. And why is this happening now? Why is it happening again? Not just because of the election, but the, the idea of floating out there for vaccine mandates and for mask mandates and for possible lockdowns and for social distancing and all this stuff, uh, this is happening because nobody was held accountable for any of this stuff that didn't work last time and that stole our freedom last time. All the lies, all the lockdowns, um, you know, the g- medical clearance to open the schools, not by science, but by what the teachers unions might tell you. When they say it's okay to open the schools, then we'll open the schools. Closing down businesses, ruining people's lives forever, um, mandating the vaccines, not letting, say, for instance, uh, Novak Djokovic come into the country to, to compete in the tennis U.S. Open because he doesn't have the vaccine. Um, you know, on, throwing man. out centuries of come science on, showing that previous infection offers actual protection against getting that disease again. They said, no, that, that doesn't count anymore. You, oh, everybody has to get the vaccine. Nobody was held accountable for any of this, for any of these lies, for telling us that it was a, a naturally occurring virus, when of course now we know that it is extremely unlikely that is the case and that all evidence points to something manufactured by humans in a lab. Nobody has been held accountable for any of this stuff, any of the lies, any of the destruction of our liberties and freedoms. And so again, if unless you punish bad behavior, you're going to get more of it. And nobody who did this to us in our country um, was, they were not only not punished, they were rewarded and they continue to be rewarded. That's why this is happening again. I have, I have, yeah. a, I have a question for, I have a question. Um, do you guys think that it is, do, do you guys think that most people, most voters or even most Americans would be happy to have like masks come back and lockdowns and all of that. Show, show of hands. <laughs> Justin yeah, wants a show, show of hands. hands. Yes or no. Uh, what's Jim doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's Jim doing? Um, yeah. I mean, do you? No, of course not. Well, so, so then why would they want to do that as part of some sort of pre-election conspiracy? Cause doesn't that reflect poorly on them, wouldn't that yeah, make I, them less appealing? You know, so, in the so election? we got Jim. I agree. I don't think that's what people want. We got Jim and Chris on one side. We got Justin kind of on the other side of this little thing going on. And I can make a case for both of them because, like, at one side, like I could see that you know they just need fifty-one percent of the voters to see, like, oh man, COVID's happening again. Like we have to take precautions. And the side with the R in front of their name, like, clearly don't take this seriously enough or whatever. And if the the people with the D in front of their name think that that is uh, a way to sway 51% of the voters, then I could see them kind of upping this, uh, this variant as being something that we have to be concerned about. But on the other side of things, and Justin pointed this out when we talked, I think yesterday about this, that like Biden, one of the things that he like, you know, celebrated was like the end of, of COVID the pandemic is over and all of that. So for this to be like a thing and mask mandates are coming back and all of this stuff, it's like, Okay, well, now that celebration that you made in the end zone, uh, you know, has to be taken back. Like now it kind of looks like a failure on your part. So I can kind of see it both ways. I am curious uh, of those in the comment section of what do you think about this? Um, But I I want to bring Chris into it a little bit more. 
um, with this this other kind of story that kind of ties into all of this. And we don't make a habit out of reporting on Alex Jones stories, but this one is seemingly getting a bit more attention than most. And also conspiracies nowadays don't have a long shelf life anymore, meaning that they become reality a little bit uh, too quickly here. But Alex Jones claims that he was contacted by a high-level TSA official claiming that they took part in a meeting where TSA managers were informed that new mask requirements would be instituted for pilots, flight staff, and passengers. Alex Jones claims that he confirmed the information with Border Patrol agent who said similar measures were being planned for Border Patrol agents. So obviously you could take this with a big dose of salt, depending on how much you trust Alex Jones. But in tandem with all the stories that we're talking about and this flood of, uh, of stories kind of advocating for a return of mask mandates and all of that, is it really that crazy? What do you think, Chris? Well, first of all, my, uh, Senator Mike Lee uh, tweeted the exact same story and got just blasted by the media for doing so. Mm. So I don't think this is an exclusive InfoWars mm. uh, source because Mike Lee, who's a sitting U.S. senator, said you know the same exact thing. Um, you know, I, I I I see where Justin's coming from, and I, I I understand maybe this is a trial balloon. Like who knows? Um, but I do. Th I, but I I do think that they are willing to take the flack that they're going to get because they're just going to say, but wait a second, this is a virus. This is not our problem. This, you know, this, this is just going to be with us forever. Scott Gottlieb, uh, you know, was on uh, one of the Sunday shows on ABC the last Sunday, and he's a, uh, you know, big, uh, big wig over at Pfizer. And he was talking that every single year we're going to have a bunch of variants and we're just going to have to take our boosters and we're just going to have to get used to this. The administration just threw another one point four billion in uh, funding for uh, for you know future boosters. So I think that it's it's it's, you know, misguided and naive to think that covid is over. Uh, I think covid is going to be here literally forever and we just have to you know stand our ground and say no we're just not going to do this again i agree with justin and um jim i remember you know in the early days of march 2020 when I mean, we didn't really know all that much you know people were taking the precautions they were doing it because hey this is a novel virus we don't know what's going on you know but uh after a couple of weeks we basically knew the the facts we knew that this didn't harm children yet schools obviously were shut down for years on end we knew that this uh, mostly impacted um, older adults and, and people with comorbidities. However, we shut down all the gyms. We said you can't go exercise outdoors. So I think that from the beginning, the deep state uh, wanted to make this as bad as possible because they knew that this was a golden opportunity to throw Trump out of office. And I mean, if you really want to go full you know, conspiracy theory here, they unleashed it. I don't know about that, but, you know, it's, it's possible. And I think that uh, now the fact that Joe Biden is doing really bad on, uh, you know, in polls, you know, him versus Trump, him versus Sanders and just him in general. I mean, you know, 33 percent of the people approve of his handling of the economy. So I think that they're getting a little desperate. And I think that desperate times they're going to resort to desperate measures. And I think I don't know for sure, but I think that they are floating the covid uh, trial balloon out there because they they think that it's a uh, way to ensure that they will win the 2024 uh, election and uh, get get control of uh, Congress. And, you know, I think that a second Biden term, I know I'm kind of going far afield here. I think a second Biden term, all bets are off the table and climate emergency and everything would would happen. And uh, I know, you know, that this is not, you know, the question, Donnie, yes, but that is the, that is the reason why we cannot uh, have Joe Biden uh, 
or his successor run for you know in win in 2024 chris talgo campaigning to be the stand-in for alex jones when he has a Sunday <laughs> over here uh jim f- final words on this topic uh, i do have one more thing that i want to get to after this the first episode uh first segment of davos watch will be happening after jim has his last words on this topic I'll just say briefly that I really hope I know a lot of the fans of this show and, and are you know are here every week in in the chat and I so much appreciate you guys. A lot of a lot of statements in all caps. I will not comply. Um, I, I hope you, I'm sure you mean it, and uh, I, I I do not want to comply either. I am going to do if this if they're really going to institute the the life sucking and and vitality sucking stuff like dis- social distancing and masking everywhere and taking your temperature with a with a laser uh trigger thing everywhere you go i i'm just gonna i'm just not gonna participate in that stuff and i'm just going to i really i'm just gonna bite the bullet and i'll figure out a, i'll figure out a way around it you know if my health club requires that i wear masks to to enter the club i'm going to quit my membership um it's just going to come to that i'm i'm this time it's not after all this time, I think we can figure out ways and know how important it is to make a stand and not uh, and not comply. Uh, but you have to understand that it's going to uh, it's going to require sacrifice, sacrifice of things that you that are really important to you, and it's just a matter of what's more important to you: uh, your freedom and the freedom of your fellow Americans, or belonging to your health club, or you know, uh, going out to that particular grocery store, or going to a concert, or even flying to see relatives. Um, I'm going to make decisions that are going to be difficult if it comes to that, because I think it's that important. I'm actually looking forward to the lockdowns and I hope they happen (laughs) because then I don't have to go out and do all these stupid things that my wife makes me do. And I get to stay at home (laughs) and watch TV, which is really what I want. And so I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for lockdowns. I'm, I'm rooting for mask mandates. I'm I'm rooting for staying at home. Frankly, yeah, it is so uh, obvious. Your wife does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> just just by coincidence, so Justin's also going to be going to Europe soon. That has nothing to do with. Uh, That's true. I am going to Europe. I'm going to Europe in the hopes of learning how to live under lockdowns. It's it's like a, <laughs> a climate, training program for me. Getting, getting ready. I'm going to come get back. Home. No air conditioning. Get used to you know public transportation and all that stuff. Yeah. It's a training course for him. Wow. Um, all right. We're going to do Davos watch here. This is the uh, first episode, but we've, we have a little bumper, a little bumper uh, graphic made for this. So why don't we go ahead and start the segment off with that? Are we going to play it or is it just, no, I'm just going to look at it. Oh, going to okay. look at it for a while. All right. <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, it looks nice. Well, <laughs> what happened there? So much, so much preparation for that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> Andy, happened, Andy is happened? that gonna? Can we fix that, or should I just go on without it? Oh, I made that special. How did I it know break? it's so good, and I want to use oh, it as a Jim, as Jim, a standalone Jim, Jim, clip. Jim. But uh, so yeah, we're just gonna sit here and. It makes some more jokes about going to Europe, Justin. <laughs> and he fixes that in the background. I mean, I, I you know, it is going to be interesting going to Europe. I, you know, what? I do really want to go to Davos one year. There you go. Like, can we somehow figure out how to do that? There so was a period actually... of time where they were floating the idea. The Heartland folks, uh, the upper brass of Heartland was floating the idea of sending Justin. 
There it is. Isn't that great? There you go. Davos Watch. Davos welcome. Watch. Welcome to the first episode of Davos Watch, where we keep an eye on the global elites from Davos to the UN and all the other advocates of global fascism and totalitarian technocracy. This week, our story comes to my attention from The Federalist. It's an article titled, These 14 American Cities Have a Target of Banning Meat, Dairy, and Private Vehicles by 2030. The article is new, but it talks about a report from a few years ago produced by the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group, or C40, titled The Future of Urban Consumption in a 1.5 Degree Celsius World. Like I mentioned, the report is a few years old, but it is getting renewed attention and deservedly so, considering how crazy the report is. So C40 is one of these globalist advocacy groups. They focus on building a global network of major cities to combat climate change through advocating policy, facilitating access to finance and other things like that. Michael Bloomberg serves as the president of the C40 board, and funders of the organization include American Express, FedEx, Google, and Tides Foundation, Open Society Foundations, Rockefeller Philanthropy. Uh, Partners who also supply financial funding to this organization include the Clinton Foundation, the United Nations Environmental Program, and the World Bank. Their work is frequently cited in the World Economic Forum publications. So they run with the best of them when it comes to being these uh, these global groups out there. So C40 has a network of cities approaching 100 globally. These are all signed on by the mayors of these uh, cities. These cities include Paris, Rome, Lisbon, London, Amsterdam, Stockholm, Tel Aviv, Tokyo, Beijing, Hong Kong. In America, they include Austin, Texas, Boston, Chicago, Houston, L.A., Miami, New Orleans, New York City, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Portland, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. Also, C40 doesn't just let any city into their club. They have standards. And these standards, uh, as it stands through 2024, include various promises to incorporate climate action goals and plans into the city's most influential decision-making processes and use their position of mayor to show global climate leadership and inspire others to take action. And if you fail to meet these standards, you're thrown out of the club. Anyway, the report outlines a series of consumption interventions that could be taken by cities that relate to meat consumption, clothing purchases, personal transportation, air travel, and even electronics and appliances. Some of these consumption interventions include reducing car ownership, lowering meat consumption, reducing clothing purchases, and reducing air travel. And each one of these consumption interventions has a progressive target of uh, a progressive target by 2030 and an ambitious target by 2030. So examples of this, and Andy, if you click on that link right below where you highlighted the future of urban consumption and go down to page like 56 or something like that, you'll see all of these laid out in their two different uh, their two different targets, the progressive target by 2030 and the ambitious target by 2030. So examples of this include meat consumption. The progressive target says 16 kilograms of meat per person per year. The ambitious target for this uh, part of the report is zero. Clothing purchases. The progressive target is eight new clothing items per person per year. The ambitious target, three new 
uh, items per year. I bought a pair of socks and that does it for me until March of next year. Uh, private vehicles, progressive target, 190 vehicles per 1,000 people. The ambitious target, zero. No private cars. Air travel, the progressive target, one short haul return flight every two years per person. The ambitious target, one short haul return flight for every person every three years. So, uh, and before before I get like fact checked on this segment, there is a passage on page 68 of the report stating, quote, this report does not advocate for the wholesale adoption of these more ambitious targets in C40 cities. Rather, they are included to provide a set of reference points that cities and other actors can reflect on when considering different emissions reductions alternatives and long-term urban visions. Doesn't that make you feel more comfortable about this, uh, this idea that you're not going to be able to eat meat and buy clothes or air travel or own a car or all of that? The ambitious targets outlined in this report are just meant to be reference points for cities to reflect on when they have these long-term visions of their urban centers, or to put it another way, ambitious targets. I, I don't even know what that jargon is trying to say. Like, I don't believe the stuff that we're putting in this report. Like, what? And forgive me if I'm unconvinced that these ambitious targets outlined in this report aren't just plans for tomorrow, because we're already seeing bans on gas-powered cars. We're already seeing ultra-low emission zones in some cities around the world. We're already seeing new restrictions on gas stoves in cities. A few months ago, we talked about uh, the mayor of New York City announcing a cap on the amount of meat and dairy served in schools and other city facilities. France is banning short-haul flights in the country. If you want to go somewhere in the in the area take a train right so like we're already seeing a handful of these things that are outlined in this report happening but to believe that it's just like oh no you know we're just putting it in there for reference points like bs get off me with that so i don't buy it any of these ambitious plans and global organizations are incredibly well connected incredibly influential and oftentimes these things that they say and do go largely ignored and they go largely ignored at our own peril. Like we've discussed numerous times on this podcast, the infrastructure of ESG and the Great Reset were constructed right under the noses of the public, despite the fact that advocates of these plans were openly discussing them in reports and conferences like Davos. That is why I'm starting Davos Watch, and every week I intend to shine a light on some element of the global elites, and I hope that you stay tuned in order to stay informed. Jim Likely, what do you think? Uh, well, I think uh, I'm pretty embarrassed by that uh, Davos Watch video I tried to make for you that uh, screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> so we got we got some good suggestions in the chat on how to improve it. So uh, I'll try to do better next time. Or maybe I'll just leave it to Andy. He's better at that. But we got to get him doing that uh, benefit video. And, and of course, but, of course, but, um, to grow. right? But but this stuff is is the way this is described is maddening. It's like you guys put it in writing. Uh, and they just keep gaslighting us over and over uh, on this sorts of stuff. Because um, every time this, this stuff is exposed, it's published on websites, it's openly discussed at conferences, it's you know applauded when, when people are meeting the goals. And yet we're told not uh, goals isn't the right word, targets is the word. Well, what's the difference between a goal and a target? Well, there's very big difference. Well, can you explain it to me? Well, there's just a big difference. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's like if you were um, you know, you give a card to to um, you know, somebody like a woman, you give a card and says I love you and she goes, "Oh, oh you love me." No. Like what well, it it says right here, "I love you." 
right, right there. It's like, yes. But so that means you love me. No, <laughs> um, no, it, it, no, no, it says it. It says I and I meaning you love me, meaning me or you meaning me. And so that means you love me. It's like, right. So you do love me. No, I just want you to feel loved. You know, it, it just, it goes round and round and round. It's complete insanity. And, you know, I think they take a special glee from it because they certainly get a rise out of me with this kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the only reason you put this kind of stuff in writing and distribute it through the WEF to the most influential and powerful elected officials in the world is because this is what you want the world to look like. And these people are being rewarded for moving toward making the world look like this. And so you're not fooling anybody. Well, they're not fooling us. I think they're fooling a lot of people, though. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty wild stuff. Justin, uh, thoughts thoughts on this uh, this plan? I mean, is it really just like, oh, no, we're just you know outlining theoreticals here. We don't actually support this stuff. Like, I, I don't even understand what the fact truck is trying to say. Like, don't believe the stuff in our own report. It's ridiculous. Well, what I don't understand is what they're suggesting... So they're saying these are just, they're targets, but they're not targets in the sense that people are actually, the government is actually doing these things. They're not going to impose these things on people. It's just, this is what we would like to see happen. But it's like, but the whole, but the whole group is of policymakers. <laughs> so like, it's not like these are regular people. Well, it's not like they're sending it out to just regular people and they're like, okay, everybody, like this is what we're hoping everyone will do. Like we hope everyone will recycle their aluminum cans, you know? So here, everyone, let's recycle. You're only sending it to the policymakers. Like right. they're the only ones seeing it. Right. So how does it help to say, well, these are just voluntary targets, but then you only give them to people who would involuntarily like impose, impose them, them on other people. <laughs> like that doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. It just, it just seems very strange. Um, the other, bizarre. I, I looked up uh, C40.org uh, to see who the, the, the C40 cities are. The C C40 was, you know, one of the three sort of groups that put this report to, together um, and C40 cities uh, exist all over the world. There's a whole bunch of them. The ones in the United States. I already listed um, them. Don't don't you already listed them? Again. But yeah. you have the you have the steering committees on here too. Oh, like the people that, that are actually surprising. Yeah, they had like the mayor of Portland and the mayor of uh, uh, someone else is like a part of the steering committee for the North American chapter of this group. Yeah. Oh, that's I think that's old. Phoenix is actually one of the steering committee members now, which is, oh, okay. I think, really strange. So it's not just blue. It's not just blue like areas like Houston, Austin, Miami. I mean, I think that that was really shocking to me how many red state cities sure were involved in this as well so at any rate i think it's obviously something to worry about but it's not surprising we know that this is what the left wants to do and we know this is what davos wants and so All right. you know uh chris i'll give you final words on this topic or any other thing that we covered in the podcast we're already 10 minutes long yeah so a couple things on this topic because i think this is really uh important and uh, really interesting. Um, I, I'd say five to 10 years ago, I would have dismissed this outright as just ludicrous and absurd and there's no way they can do it. But then I think you know, nowadays with ESG, with uh, AI, with all the tools that they have, a digital currency, which they're rolling out, I think that this would be much easier for them to actually implement. 
Okay, so that that does worry me because I think that they have the technological infrastructure to actually achieve this, which is something that 20 years ago would have been a non-starter. Now, you wouldn't have not been able to limit people's clothing purchases. Right, right. Without like a CBDC. Right, it would have been very, very difficult. What are you, the clothing police? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> but the fashion police, I guess. Okay, but here's why I'm even more concerned because Chicago and New York City and San Francisco and a lot of these big metropolitan areas in the United States are already going in this direction. I watched a report on New York City and they are making it almost impossible to drive a car in that city these days. They've, uh, you know, they put curbside dining uh, permanent, taking up two lanes, you know, in in those very congested streets. They make it almost impossible with congested, uh, you know, traffic pricing and the cost, the cost to park your car in downtown Chicago these days, it's so outrageous. It's so I think that they are just they're slowly but surely trying to do this. I think they're trying to nudge people in the direction already by just making it cost prohibitive by, you know, the, the, the cost of gasoline in Chicago is a sky high, too. Um, so I think that they're already like moving in that direction. But this would, you know, allow them to take it to a whole new level. And geez, I mean, you talk about like lockdowns, you know, uh, being a, <laughs> a threat to liberty. This would this would be the end of liberty. So I hope that the American people uh, outright reject this. However, there's, you know, a side of me that thinks that it would be somewhat acceptable in a lot of these big cities because Mm. they have been indoctrinated and brainwashed to such an incredible degree that climate change is an existential crisis and that, you know, uh, meat consumption uh, is a, you know, horrible uh, amplifier of you know uh, the climate change crisis and just bringing it back full circle uh, to to the debate. You know when uh, when I saw and Justin you know mentioned this earlier when I when I saw how they framed that question about climate change using you know that that student, um, it just you know it, it it was really disappointing because I you know thought that they would actually get into a discussion about it, but they sidestepped the discussion and said it's happening. Are you going to do anything about it? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's frustrating because I think that the American people, by and large, do not buy into this. And the, yeah, it, the corporate media just is trying to, you know, force them into yeah. into it. Right. It, so Davos Watch every week, shining a light on a new facet of all of this stuff that uh, is not getting the attention it deserves or anything like that. And I spent a lot of time looking at this C40 thing last night when I was putting notes together for this. And the kind of the standards that these cities have to meet to be in this club. And it has specifically like these are the standards as outlined between the year 2022 and 2024, which makes it seem like after 2024, they're a bit like more strict. And it just seems like this way of like keeping everybody in line. And if you want to be part of the club, you've got to keep jumping through these hoops and all of this stuff. And and if there's one thing I know from all the work that we've done looking into World Economic Forum and davos and the un and even now the c40 stuff and and any other group like that they've they they know how to wield their influence and uh they could be pretty pretty impactful and pretty powerful when they're really trying especially when they're moving in concert with each other so this is uh this is a story that i thought was important to discuss in this week and then every week like i said we're going to be talking about something else so make sure to tune in every week for a new segment of davos watch all right, gentlemen, last words. Anything you want to get off your chest before we sign off for the week? Yeah, why would red states allow their cities to go into bed with Davos 
to create detailed plans for how they're going to control every aspect of your entire life. Like, why would they allow that? I don't under I don't understand that at all. It makes no sense to me at all. A bunch of these cities that you just talked about are in Texas. Uh, there's at least one in Florida, one in Louisiana. Uh, these are all red states. Why are they allowing this? I, you know, states' rights. You don't have to allow it. I don't know why they're they're doing that. So, mm. yeah. And if you don't think that organizations like the WEF have actual influence in America, then you know, just think about Chicago. And this is the this is the home of the Italian beef sandwich. This is some of the best restaurants in the world where steak is uh, on the menu. If anybody even entertained the idea jokingly that you would ban meat consumption in the city of Chicago, you wouldn't just lose your election or be laughed out of town. They would probably assault you with a, with a deadly weapon in this town. Uh, but there it is. And, you know, if, if this was if they did not have influence, a city like Chicago or, as you said, Justin, a city in a um, in a red state would say, you know, no, uh, please delist us from this on the website. You know, this is yeah, not good right. for us. But instead, there they are, proudly proudly touting it. So that's actual proof of what kind of influence WEF actually does have in America. Yep, absolutely. They are squarely on my radar now, the C40 organization. They have a, like, uh, climate, a climate friendly cities summit that happens every year and and this past one they had people from the world economic forum and their smart cities delegation invited to to do a speech on uh at that conference so i'll be definitely keeping an eye on these people and seeing what they are up to but ladies and gentlemen that will do it for this episode of in the think podcast i want to thank you all for tuning in to this week join us every week for a new episode It'd be greatly appreciated if you are listening to the show probably on a friday or later leave a review for us on itunes it'd be greatly appreciated also you can join us a day earlier on thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming this on facebook and youtube and twitter and rumble where you can join the conversation throw your comments and questions in the chat maybe we'll show your comments on the screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly also we have that super chat functionality enabled in case you want to support the show that way um and if you want to follow us you can on twitter at in the tank pod or feel free to email us send us suggestions for the show questions or anything like that by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org justin asking same question uh, at Justin C. Haskins on all the big social media channels. And check out the Justin Haskins channel on YouTube. We've been putting up some videos lately on uh, the Biden economy and heat waves and all kinds of other important stuff. So check that out at Justin T. Haskins. I think you find that on, the, on YouTube. Just type in my name. You'll find it. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Stopinsocialism.com. We have some new content up and... Uh some case studies on our upcoming book about socialism at a glance. So please go check it out. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.